0: And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, church family. We're so excited to be worshiping with you this morning. I don't know about you, that that video just gets me pumped up. Like, I'm ready to go take on the world. Um, and I'm excited. We're continuing our series talking about the early church, and we're titling it Part of a Movement being part of what God has done. And many of you were here last week as we celebrated two years of church, and we talked about how really the idea of us as a church is so much bigger than Hope Culture Church. It's so much bigger than what God's doing right now. It goes far back to Jesus' death and resurrection in the early church all the way to now, and it's so much bigger and broader than this location. It's around... The world. And we're just grateful to be a part of it. We're grateful to be a part of the people who says, Jesus really did die and raise again from the dead, and we just want to be a part of that community. We have a shared faith, a common mission, and a transformed community. And that's really where we want to pick up, is last week we talked about how we have a shared faith and a common mission, and this week we kind of want to talk about what does it look like to live in transformed community? What does it look like to actually have spiritual friendships that go beyond the surface level. And I think as I think about movement and I think about um, all things related to moving forward, transportation comes to my mind. I don't know about you, but sometimes things take a little longer to get where you want to go. I don't know. There's the construction right there. Hopefully it wasn't bad on Sunday morning, but during the week that's caused some slowdowns, trying to get across the river or things like that. And some of us, in order to avoid that, if we're traveling to the city or things like that, we take the Metra. Or the L. Abigail and I met when we were living in the city, so we took the L everywhere, brown line mostly. That's right, it was right by where we were living, and um, we'd hop on the brown line and, and go here and there. And a lot of us treat church like the brown line it's getting us where we need to go. We're like kind of stuck with whoever's on there with us, we didn't necessarily choose them, they just happen to get on at the same time, at the same location, and we're moving in a common direction. And we kind of avoid talking to people. There's some social things that are just expected or understood about this is how we interact or mostly don't interact with people with us on the L. And I think that sometimes carries over into the church. If We have this idea of we're going somewhere together. Whether we wanted to be together or not, we're kind of trapped in this metal tube and we're moving forward towards God's goal for us. But what are we supposed to do? I think we're supposed to interact a little bit more than we do on the L. Or the Metra. And so I wanna pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 2, and we're gonna be there in just a minute. And I wanna talk about this idea of transformed community, real spiritual community. And to give a little context for those of you who weren't here, chapter 1, Jesus is ascending into heaven. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is descending upon his people. The, The disciples are told to wait, and now they're sent out and commissioned, and this is the beginning of the early church. Peter's just preached a message to many people, and we left off on the verse where 3,000 people give their life to Christ. So let's pick up there. Verse 41, it says this, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you, can you imagine that? Just a moment where 3,000 people step into faith and make that decision for baptism. That would be beautiful and glorious chaos. Like, how do we get all these people baptized? Who's in charge of what? I'm sure Peter's just bossing people around, being like, you go baptize those people, you go baptize those people, and it's just taking them a while. And then picking up in verse 42 is really where I want to focus. These next five or six verses. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship I think this little short paragraph that Luke records for us saying, the church just started, Peter preached, Holy Spirit is moving, weird things are happening, and 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. Then he gives us this short description of what did it look like after that. And the first sentence says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And many of us who've grown up in or around church, or, or even if you're new to church, you know that we have a high regard for the Word of God. We love the Word of God, and it's easy for us to vo- devote ourselves to that. We want to know what the Word says. We want to know that it's true. We want to apply it to our lives. We want it to transform us. We even understand the importance of theology and doctrine, whether we love it or, or just bear it. We understand these things, and we devote ourselves to them. But we sometimes struggle with the second part, devoting ourselves to fellowship, Well, we like the friendly part. Coffee and donuts, we're fine with that. If we're going to have an after party, that's cool. But real fellowship, where I'm known and people, and I know people, they know the the good things and the bad things about me. Real spiritual friendship. Devoting myself to that, that seems a little scary or awkward or unnecessary. We have a harder time actually devoting ourselves to those things. And this word devotion has an ongoing sense That they kept devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they kept devoting themselves to each other in fellowship. Think about that for a minute. Let's use marriage as an illustration. My uncle is a biblical counselor, and he always jokes when he's raising up people and, and helping them with their premarital counseling. He says, you don't just say, I love you once. You don't just say it and you're done. You don't go to the altar and commit your love to the other person and just move on. It is an ongoing process. How silly would it be for me to expect Abigail years later to be like, hey, why are you, why are you insecure about our love? Just because I haven't said it in the last 10 years. It would be silly, right? I would keep displaying it and showing it and saying it. They committed themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Ongoing commitment. And that idea of commitment is really what I want to focus on. As we look at the next five verses, I want to pull out six things that I see that they committed themselves to in fellowship, six things that I saw the early church doing that that I think still apply to us today. And before we do that, I just want to back up and talk about the importance of community, kind of big picture, because some of us have this idea that I'm like, if it's just me and God, I'll be fine. I'm okay. I have a strong enough relationship with God. I don't really need anybody else. But if that was true, things in the garden would have been a little bit different. If you remember in Genesis 1, God's creating everything. And in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve show up. And before Eve, Adam is there, and he has a perfect relationship with God. It said they would walk together in the garden. They had intimacy. But even in that moment, when Adam has this intimate relationship with the Lord, God said, it's not good for you to be alone. That we are created for relationship and community even outside of our relationship with God. That we need each other. It's part of how we're created as human beings. It's actually reflected in the nature of God. He's a triune God. He's three in one. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they, they perfectly know each other and interact with each other. And they represent community. And so for us as people created in His image... We are meant to be in community. And so we're going to look, spend a little bit of time at these six things that the early church committed themselves to in community. In verse 44, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They had everything in common. And different people kind of interpret this differently. But the main thing is most scholars come to the agreement that they had unity That there was unity. That this is what this verse is pointing to, is that they were unified. And we've talked about unity before as a church. It's a a big and important thing on our heart, is that it is not that we are all exactly the same. Because that is not reality. It's difference of persons, but sameness in purpose. It's difference in persons and personality. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each individual person's. But they're united in purpose, united in essence. And as people and followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be united. Jesus spends a whole long prayer praying for the unity of believers. I encourage you sometime this week to read John chapter 17. Jesus, in this moment, is praying for the church. He's praying for his disciples. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for the people in the future that they may be one as we are one. He's talking to the Father God, we have unity. We have community. And I'm praying that the church and my followers would have that same unity. In fact, a little bit later in that prayer, he says, and the world may know that you sent me by their oneness, by their unity, by their love for each other. That it's actually mission critical that we have unity in purpose. And that doesn't mean we don't have diversity. In fact, I think the diversity that God creates shows the power of the unity of what we surround ourselves with. That what we choose to unify over is so much more important than everything else. That we can say, I love you and I appreciate you, and we're together because of the cross. That we believe that Jesus died and rose again. There's power in unity. This is an illustration I actually shared a couple of years ago, but it's, it's worth resharing. And that there's these Belgium horses. And they are known for their strength in pulling things, being able to carry a lot of weight. By themselves, one horse can carry 8,000 pounds. 8,000 pounds. That's a lot. Maybe you're like, that's not a lot. I don't know. It feels like a lot to me. In my gut, I'm just like, that's a big number. So you would do the math and you'd think, so two of them should be able to pull 16, right? That's like math. You're like, I hate it. Pastor Dan makes us do math on Sundays so often. I do. I like numbers. And so does God. He has a whole book called Numbers. Alright. Mike loves the dad jokes. I always get a really loud response from Mike. Um, no, but I totally sidetracked myself, but 16,000 is what you would expect when you put two of them together. But the reality is, is when you put two of them together, they often pull twenty to 24,000. That they're stronger together than they are apart. That suddenly there's something that happens, this synergy where they're able to do more together. And in fact, researchers show that if they spend some time together and they grow up together, they can pull 32,000 pounds. That's that's like double what you would be able to expect. And then they they said there was this one case study where two of them grew up together their whole life. And they were able to pull over 50,000 pounds together. That there's something unique that happens in Stepping into something together, moving in the same direction, unified, instead of just going on your own. That when we're unified together, we can do a lot more than we can apart. They had all things in common. They had a commitment to unity. The second commitment I see when they're devoted to fellowship, there's a commitment to generosity. We see this in verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Originally, I actually titled this one, A Commitment to Care, because it was whoever had need. But really, it starts with a heart of generosity, and and generosity and care often go hand in hand. In fact, Jesus says, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. That there's something that happens between our finances and what we care about. They follow each other. And so I think you could put generosity or care. If you're a note taker, you could put slash and put them both. But they were moved to give which is really a reflection of the heart of God. It's an act of love. For God so loved the world that he gave. That generosity is really, again, a reflection of who God is. Unity comes from being made in God's image, and generosity is the same way. That we're called to be generous and care for those around us because that's how God is. That he puts others' needs before his own. That Jesus died for other people, laid down his life. There's no greater love than that. And so generosity is a representation of the heart of God. It's a way to care for people around you that that no one would go without because if you're hurting, I'm hurting. If you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. We have all things in common and we're generous with each other. I think the commitment to care is so important because If you're not walking through something hard now, you probably have. And I think more than normal amount of us are walking through something difficult right now. It's just the season that we're in as a culture. That there's something hard at work or something hard relationally or there's something that's bothering us and something medical is going on, whatever it may be. But there's something so powerful when people can surround you in that moment. That you're not going through it alone. Abigail and I have experienced this. We've experienced loss this year. And for people to come in and say, how can we help? What can we do? It could be as simple as as watching the kids during something or driving somebody to a doctor's appointment, showing up with a meal, whatever it may be. Our generosity should lead to caring for other people. They had all things in common and they sold their possessions so that no one among them had need. It's a lot easier to do things on your own, in your head. But when you get to a storm, community is essential. I I have a friend who often says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's a common quote. You've maybe heard it, but it's so true. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. There's strength in staying together and caring for one another. Redwood trees, the sequoias in in the California area are some of the biggest trees there are. Who's ever seen those? Anybody gone out there and seen those? They're beautiful. That's quite a lot of you. They're awesome. Um, I remember seeing them as a kid and just being awestruck of how big they actually are. Because you see pictures and you're like, that's big. But you're there and you're just like, wow. But what's crazy about these sequoias, I almost said sycamores, which is like a really Bible thing. You guys are like, yeah, that's like, anyway. That was just a little peek into my brain. The uh, sequoias, not sycamores, grow very, very tall, but their roots only grow five to six feet deep. They're not very deep, but they grow very, very wide, and they actually intertwine with each other. They wrap around each other, and they hold on to each other. So on its own, in isolation, it's not strong enough to support its own weight. They're so big. But together in the forest, they hold each other up. There's strength for them as they're intertwined and together. And I think that is a picture of care. That we're able to hold each other up in the storms of life. That you might not have what it takes to get through it on your own, but together in community, we can care for you and love you. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. They had a commitment to unity. They had a commitment to generosity. And the third commitment I see is to worship together. This is verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. That's a lot of days. That's all of them. They were doing it every day, regularly worshiping together in the temple courts. And then in a second, it says in house to house, and I love the imagery that it's both corporately as a group and individually in relationship and community. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's pause before we go to verse 25. It just says in verse 24, Let us consider... How we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Maybe you have some ideas. You're considering it right now. How could I help somebody move towards what God wants them to? How can I help them do what God's calling them to? How can I push them towards love? Look at what the writer offers as the solution. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That there's something about gathering together, that actually helps us push each other into each other's purpose. That I can push you into love and good deeds and you can push me into love and good deeds and that we can help keep each other on track towards what God is calling us to do. It's this imagery of of cooking at a barbecue or having a bonfire and when it's all together, it's hot. You guys know charcoal, you know it's hot when it's all white and the little sparks are flying what do you do to cool it off? You just spread it out. That we as Christians are the same way. We are in our best when we are together. It might be difficult. You might hurt me or I might hurt you or, or things might happen, but we're, we're not going to do very well on our own. We might choose to isolate, but it never turns out the way we want it to. If we want to truly spur each other on towards, one and good, one and, uh, towards love and good deeds, we need to gather together, both in homes and corporately. It's, it's both. And I think this is important because the writer points out that this is a habit. Some are in the habit of, of not. And, and it's so easy to slip into that habit. It's so easy to have something come up that turns into one weekend, that turns into a lot more weekends, that turns into I'm out of the habit. And I think this is so practical and, and just relevant of let's re-change our habits. Let's shift them back to what they're supposed to be. Are our habits hurting us or helping us? Are the things that we are doing regularly, are they pushing us towards Jesus and each other or away? The next commitment that I see is a commitment to life together. Sunday mornings are great. I love them. I love seeing you, I love saying hi, I love worshiping together. There's something about corporate worship that's so different than worshiping by myself. That when somebody else's faith is high, it encourages mine. Or when their faith is low, I can encourage it. And vice versa, there's something about that. But there's something also about just that small, intimate space. That gathering in house to house. That small group, that one-on-one coffee, serving together week after week, going and doing something with one of your friends from church, there's something that happens in that space that's different. And like Abigail said, we encourage you to sign up for a small group. That's one great way. Or sign up for the dream team. A lot of people have made friends in the church and built relationships just by setting up and tearing things down together or or whatever it may be and meet somebody in the lobby and invite them out for coffee but there's something that happens when we gather together, when they break bread in your home and eat together with glad and sincere hearts. I love that phrase, glad and sincere hearts. That there's something about gathering when we do it the right way that just leads to joy. Study after study shows that we fear relationships because we get hurt there, but we're actually, we find the healing in relationships. But so often we've been hurt by one. Maybe you've been to one community group and and it didn't go well and you got hurt and you're worried about trying another one. But you might find the healing to that hurt in another community group. So often we run from the very thing that can heal us. A commitment to celebrate together is the fifth one. In verse 47 it says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. We as a church talk about this regularly. Uh, We rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. This is often what my week looks like, is going from one person to the next on the phone or in person and, and being so excited for the breakthrough in somebody's life and so heartbroken about the pain in somebody else's. But this is what community looks like. It looks like knowing and being known. You don't have to share with everyone, but share with someone. Let someone else praise God for what he's doing in your life with you. Let someone else walk through a hard time with you and enjoy the favor of all the people. I, this was singing out to me in the week. The favor of all the people. That there's something that happens in our unity, in our gathering, in our generosity, in our commitment to each other that leads to the favor of God. It leads to doors opening that wouldn't otherwise be open, those inexplainable things that somebody prayed for you or somebody did something that God's just blessing because we're doing what he's asking us to do. And it it just opens doors, which really leads us to the final part of this passage where it says, they were praising God and enjoying favor, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I see this can be an easy tendency for us that we can swing one way or the other. That we can be really focused on more people coming, that God's adding people, that people are getting saved, they're transformed by him. And that's our heartbeat, that's our mission. We want every person to take their next step in following Jesus. That means reaching more people. But we can also swing to another healthy thing that can become unhealthy, is we can swing towards community and become inward focused where we are called to a commitment towards each other, but then we can get a mentality of that. It's, it's us four and no more. Like, this group is closed, or, or you're not welcome here anymore. I have my friends, or it's changing, or things aren't the way I want them to be anymore. But really, those are both two things that are be- held in tandem. That a commitment to community should be also a commitment to growth. That if we're a healthy community, we should be welcoming and inviting more people in. That they should be just as welcomed as we felt. Or, or maybe more because we're learning and being transformed by Christ. And we don't want somebody else to experience what we did. So we're going to be the friendliest place that there is. It can be easy to come inward focused. But the mission is that we'd see that, that people are added daily. And I love this about community, is that community shows up for one another. Community calls you when they don't see you. They, they let you know they love you. They, they hear you had a baby and they're showing up with meals. You're moving and they're helping you pack boxes. You're going through a hard time and they're watching your kids. Whatever it may be, community shows up. And I feel like our community does this well. That you guys love each other well. You care about each other. You carry one another's burdens. I was reflecting this week, and I shared this during the dream team huddle. Our dream team is everybody who serves in the church. And there was another pastor I was reflecting with. They, they started at the same time as us, and we're friends, and just reflecting on all God's done. And somehow God led us to talking about Philippians chapter 2. And in that passage, it talks about humility. And considering others more valuable than yourself. And I was processing that this week about how often we're like, if I could just treat people the way I want to be treated, you know, like the golden rule, what Jesus talks about, loving people. And but really what Paul is commanding the church to do is consider each other more valuable than yourself. And that's hard. That's fun to think about or talk about, and everybody wants to be treated better than they're treated, the other person treats them, but it's hard to actually do to other people. I felt convicted as I was processing and praying. It's like, God, would you help me to love better? To truly love better? You know, the idea being that they'll know I'm a Christian by my love. That love is what sets us apart. You know, love is the first fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love over and over is talked about in the New Testament. And we like to talk about it, but it's difficult to live. It's difficult to live real sacrificial love, the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. It's easy to live the, hi, how are you doing? I hope you had a great week. Oh, bummer, it was a bad week. It's easy to live that kind of love. It's hard to live the kind of love that actually sacrifices for somebody else that gives up time or energy or resource for the benefit of somebody else. And really, I think that should be the measure of our maturity. As we we think about what does it mean to take my next step in following Jesus, it can mean a lot of different things. It means knowing the word. It means being in community. It's so many things. But I think if we're to actually put a metric on it, it's how much are you growing in love? The Bible says that God is love and we're supposed to be becoming like him. That we're we're looking at the image of Jesus, we're becoming what we behold, that we're looking at who he is and we're becoming more loving. What if we measured our maturity by our ability to love? And not the way that we think we're loving, but the way that people actually are receiving our love. Because how many of you know it's one thing to be like, I am loving, but if nobody feels loved by you, Maybe you're not as loving as you think you are. I want to grow in this. I want to never stop growing in this. I want to become more loving year over year. I want to look more like Jesus in the future. I want people who interact with me to to, to feel the love of God. That's what community looks like. That's what community is meant to be. And I think when we do that well, when we are carrying the the shared mission and the shared vision and the shared faith that Jesus died and rose again and because of that I'm a new person, the Holy Spirit lives in me, When when we're walking that out, I think we're going to see more people give their life to Christ. We're going to see the Lord add to them daily. That's not something they were doing. That's the Spirit's work inside of them. I think... We could redirect our focus to loving God and loving others. We've we've said this before because Jesus boils it down. He's put in a trap situation by the Pharisees. They're like, What is the greatest of these laws? There's so many of them, there's over 600. And he says, The greatest is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. How often do we just need that refocus? that thing that we already know, that I'm called to love God and love others. How often do we need to be reminded of that? And that's the importance of community, that we can turn to each other and say, hey, let's grow in love together. Let's grow in loving God and loving those around us. We don't want to just be a friendly church. We say this, though, we do want to be a friendly church, we don't just want to be a friendly church though. Abigail's in charge of the host crew and we regularly say we want to be the friendliest place somebody could walk in on a Sunday morning. We want so many people to say hi to you and make you feel welcomed and known and loved. But we don't just want to be a friendly church. We want to be a family church. That you're, you're with me and I'm with you. That our family's big enough that we can't be best friends with everybody in here but you can know somebody and somebody can know you, that you can have a real relationship if you're willing to, if you're willing to be authentic and open yourself up, that you can have a real relationship that will point somebody towards Christ and that they'll be able to point you towards Christ. Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. We like to say that in church because it's a good way of saying we make each other better. But if you think about that, that is loud and painful. That is not a, a smooth or quiet thing. That is, that is loud. That is banging. And I think sometimes community can be painful, but it's making us better. It's making us more like Jesus. And that's my heart. That's my prayer, is that we'd be part of a movement, yes, with a shared faith that Jesus died and rose again, that there's freedom and forgiveness for sins, with a, a unified mission that we want people to know God. Find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And more than those things, too, we also want to be a transformed community. That we're becoming more like Jesus. That we're, be, that we're growing in our ability to love. That we're growing in generosity and unity and, and our commitment to worship and to each other. And it's an open invitation. John 1.12, and I'll close with this, says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you choose to put your faith in Jesus, if you receive him for who he is, the Savior, Messiah, the risen King, then you're invited into the family of God. Romans explains that you're adopted in. And I don't know if you've put the pieces together, but if I'm a son or you're a son and you're a daughter, that means we're siblings. We're invited into the family to love and care for each other. I want us to do it really well. And so if, if that's you, if you've never made that decision and accepted that invitation to join God's family, you can do that today by simply saying, I, I do need a Savior. I've lived my own way by my own standard. I've fallen short of God's standard. I've broken His law and His heart. But I do believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day. I do believe that He came to set me free. I'm making that decision to join the family of God, to be forgiven, to change the direction of my life. I'd love for you to make that decision today, but for the rest of us who already have made that decision, I want to pray for us to grow in our love, to grow in our commitment to community. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That devotion was intentional, a commitment to these things. Let's pray together. God, would you help us We cannot do this on our own. We ask your spirit to come, just like you did in Acts 2, to fill us up in a new and fresh way. We pray that this community that you're forming would look like you want it to look. God, that we would devote ourselves to the word and to teaching, to good doctrine, but we'd also devote ourselves to fellowship, to having all things in common, to sharing, to generosity, to unity, to love. God, for those who are either watching online or in the room and and have that sense of, I want that, but I've never made that decision. God, would you speak to them in this moment? Would you turn their hearts and minds towards you that they would make a decision to follow Jesus and never turn back? God, for the rest of us, would you equip us and empower us? Would you give us the desire and the ability to live this out? God, would you give us the ability to to lift others up, to sacrifice on the behalf of others, to model what you've done for us, to reflect your nature to the world around us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.